I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution and we're back and this time with Linda Ty. Linda, how are you? I am so well today. I'm, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. I'm having a mild sort of day. Not too excited about it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm having a great day. Um, not least because we've got you here. Somatic therapy and trauma therapist. Tell us a little bit about what is somatic therapy. What am I, what am I tuning into here, Linda? Tell me a little bit more about it. Sure. Somatic therapy is just a fancy term for the way in which our body holds the stories of our lives and so by tapping into our body we can actually tap into this wisdom that can elicit such rich and deep information about ourselves our stories our conditioning our habit patterns that we are living so unconscious and unaware of that offers them the juice and the richness for evolution 
how do I not get overwhelmed <laughs> by the idea that every single thing in every single moment in time, my body is sort of what I'm hearing from you is it's holding the story of my life in it. Um, yes. Yeah. Like is that, that, that's every single moment. Yes, yes, yes. We're being constantly imprinted upon by our environment. Mm. And this happens on the energetic level, the physical level, which is simply an expression and an extension of that energetic level. Mm. And so in this way, what happens is we become shaped in response to our environment. And so much of that happens so early on in life that we become unaware of it. And in this unawareness, we're then unconscious of the ways in which our past is continuing on into the present and then into the future. Mm, so what I'm hearing is things yeah. from the past get trapped into our body and body, then we yes. map that out somewhere in our body, in our physiology, yes. and then we continue yes. to operate um, from that trapped sense of energy or I'm not sure what to yes. call it, um, yes. going forward. Yes, think of it as an imprint that's been made that we're unaware of or an imprint that hasn't been made and so we don't get what we didn't get. Mm. So to give you an example, yep. I invite you to tap into your body, take a breath mm -hmm. tune in, and I invite you to hold your hands, to cup them over your mouth and to say your name a few times and as you say your name, notice your body's response. Linda, Linda, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. So I've done that exercise with, a, would say, a few dozen people over the years. Mm -hmm. And it is profoundly astounding to me how over 50% of folks say their body responded to hearing their own name with a response of, what do you want from me? Or I'm in trouble. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and so when we, you know, we do this as groups and then we debrief, what was your body's response to hearing your own name, right? And so then we talk about that and we talk about how that has been an imprint that has happened on our nervous system from the people who said our names the most, typically our caregivers. And they were always calling out your name when you are in yes. trouble. Yes. <laughs> And so what happens then is I move through the world and people say, Linda, Linda, Linda. Like they're so excited to see me. And my body goes, ah, what do you want from me? <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that's as yeah. common as the thing that you use as commonly as your name. Yes. Whoa. Yes. And so this is an example of the ways in which our bodies hold echoes of the past. And so it can be the imprint of things that didn't happen that should have happened, like the imprint of delight, of joy, of welcome, of guidance and mentorship. 
mm. of a space where you're welcomed, you're seen, you're heard, you're witnessed, you're embraced, like the wholeness of your being. And it can also be the imprint of the things that happened that shouldn't have happened. Mm. Yeah, abuse, neglect, humiliation, shame. And that then changes how we move through the world. Yeah, so I'm probably jumping a few steps ahead of myself here. Okay. But I'm imagining that as you're as we're probably holding on to things that potentially I'm just going to call them traumas um, for the sake of it. And one of the things I've recently had to become aware of is there's always a there's always the event and then our response to the event and actually our response <laughs> is the trauma rather the event is can be quite neutral it's you know two people process the same event quite differently and for one person it can be traumatic and another one less so and one of the things i've been processing around that is i've been giving some talks on resilience and i've been trying to understand resilience a lot better um, in that effort and what i'm realizing is actually and potentially what i'm what i'm hearing from you and this where I'm jumping ahead is um, that if we're probably already holding on to certain traumas, we're probably less resilient to take on or respond better in similar or other situations that may trigger in a similar vein. Yes. The strategies that kept us alive keep us from living. Oh, say that again. <laughs> The strategies that kept us alive keep us from living. Mm. Right? The fears that kept us alive keep us from living. Yep. And deeply at the heart of that, we have to acknowledge with appreciation those strategies. Mm. How Whether do we it be Oh, whether those strategies be disconnecting from my own needs, disconnecting mm -hmm. from the truth of my inner landscape, yeah. becoming compliant, giving up my voice, numbing out from my own pain in my own body. I mean, feelings are simply physical sensations. And as little people, we need to have the big people in our lives be present for us in such a way that they can become a container for us to experience feelings as physical sensations and not be overwhelmed by them. Mm. Yeah. And so in the absence of that, we learn to shut down from our inner landscape as an adaptive survival strategy. And that's the beauty of all of this is we break things down and we pause for long enough to go, ah, that makes so much sense in the world of a child. Mm. Of course you resorted to just smiling whenever anyone said something mean. Mm. Because that's how you learn to get through that. And now this has become your habitual conditioned response to whenever you experience a cue of unsafety or a cue of danger in your environment. And that's not serving you anymore. But let's just pause for long enough and go, ah, adaptive survival strategy. Mm. At the risk of peering behind the curtain, can I go there with you, Linda? How did this <laughs> become your passion? 
how did this, like, was there something that dropped, like, was there something that you were working on on yourself or were you working with people that you saw again and again? Can you tell me a little bit more about where this, the depths of all of this came from? Yeah, absolutely. I would be so happy to share that with you as well as with your listeners. Um, For me, it was actually a, it was about survival. You know, I needed to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. You know, Mm. on the outside, I had the veneer of I've got my stuff together. But (laughs) on the inside, I was just an absolute red hot mess. (laughs) And here I was moving through the world and I had a stronger and stronger death grip on a smaller and smaller world. And what happened for me was that I read Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. And that book made me aware that I was obviously a trauma survivor, but I had no idea that I was. And so it was like the ground opened up in a really good way. And then from there, I was actually able to unpack my story because obviously I had all the traits and symptoms of a trauma survivor. Mm. I was hypervigilant and yet I was hypersensitive and I was also hyposensitive. I was running on empty in that I was living in this state of survival. You know, I was going, 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 and then I'd pass out. I didn't actually know how to engage with other people in a way where our nervous systems were able to reciprocate and respond to each other. I didn't Mm. feel safe around other people, and yet I was in denial about the fact that I didn't feel safe. And whenever I had the whiff of the sniff of rejection or abandonment or feeling a feeling that was too intense for me to feel, I would numb out. So I would use cannabis products, alcohol, sex, relationships, work, compulsive activity, busyness, gossip as ways of distracting myself from my own inner landscape. Hmm. Yeah. And with... um, With this practice of befriending my body, I was able to unlock some truths that it held. And for me, I was so traumatized that talking to another human being just wasn't very effective or productive for me because so much of my trauma was actually held in um, a safe space in my psyche that was totally unknown and inaccessible to me. And so it was actually through my body that my body then started to to tell me and lead me along this merry path of you're a Vietnamese boat person. You were two years old. There were pirates. They took people off the boat onto their boat. You know, I was holding onto my mother's pant leg and people were disappearing. And in the world of a two-year-old, that is terrifying. And yet that wasn't in my explicit memory banks. It was actually through a process known as brain spotting, which is a brain-based modality for accessing uh, subconscious or implicit memories, that this stuff then began to came up. And then as it came up, I was able to recognize, oh my God, there's that silent scream of terror that my nervous system in service of survival knew to shove down. And the neurons that wire together, fire together. And after they fired together, they wired together. And then my life became overlaid with thousands of silent screams on top of the original. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And then being raised by parents who are traumatized but not traumatizing as a result of the refugee experience. So I knew my parents loved me because they were never there. They were just working all the time. That's immigrant life. Mm. And so to recognize that the positive imprint of nurturing of parents who are emotionally available wasn't made. And to recognize that that actually has impacted me. I prefer mm-hmm. to deny it. <laughs> <laughs> so much more convenient. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. <laughs> Why are you going to go there, Linda? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but here I was like flipping out all the time. I was like so very easily flipping out and losing my wazoo to folks who were really well-meaning in my life in situations that were inappropriate for me to do so over circumstances that were like pole vaulting over a mousetube. Yeah. Is that like anger or agitation or frustration? What, what are some of the... Rage. Yeah, cool. Rage. Rage. Mm. Yeah. 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 And so through the practices of yoga and meditation, I actually learned how to still my thoughts for long enough to recognize that I was the cause, the cause and the source of all of my troubles. <laughs> you're, a, you're, you're a body-based expert, so let me share something with you that I've come to learn to appreciate about myself. There was a point in my life where I was like, you know, that's, that's wrong and that's screwed up. And that's not working for those that are only listening to the audio and not watching the video and pointing at different things. And I, I remember this story that my dad told me and it was a joke, right? And he goes, you know, this guy goes to the doctor and he, and he points at his hand and looks, he goes, look, my hand hurts. He goes, look, my forearm hurts. He goes, look, my shoulder hurts. He goes, look, my head hurts. Look, my chest hurts. And he's pointing at all and he's touching as he's pointing at all these things on his body. And he's like, look, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And the doctor sits there patiently until he's done. And he goes, all right, let us look, have, let us have a look at this dandered finger <laughs> of yours. <laughs> right. And it was the finger. And that's actually like, my dad told it to me as a joke as a kid, but I've actually over time come to realize this is actually quite profound in my own life. It's like, shit, like if I keep seeing like the error in everything's ways, maybe it's not everything that's broken. Maybe there's something inside that needs a bit of a look at. Not saying that you were, well, anyway, you know, we've all well, got stuff. Well, yeah, to- but it's that thing, right? Yeah. Like I don't see the world as the world is. I see mm. the world as I am. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you know what every single one of my ex-boyfriends had in common with me? Me. yeah fair enough so linda tell me a little bit we're talking about exploring the inner landscape i'm understanding a little bit about your background i well, like there is so much in there to to look into and begin to start to unpack. The question that comes through is how? Please, how do we begin? We begin by acknowledging where we're at. We begin by acknowledging our relationship to our bodies. Right? Perhaps we have a transactional relationship with our bodies. You know, we, we feed it. We sleep it, we water it. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we recognize that we have an antagonistic relationship with our bodies. It's something that we drag around through the world. And then maybe at some point we consider the idea of the possibility of taking care of ourselves and exploring having a relationship with our bodies, being in our bodies. You know, that practice of taking a few breaths, dropping in, noticing and naming, making the implicit explicit, being able to notice where is my nervous system at in this moment? What are my cues of safety and my cues of unsafety? How does my nervous system respond to other nervous systems? Yeah. And there's lots of great work out there and great teachers out there who teach about cultivating a relationship with one's body. And so, you know, yoga, tai chi, meditation, um, qigong. Yeah. And then from there, it's like, let's moving in, move towards, if it feels right for you, um, some sort of somatic coach or a trauma therapist who's rooted in um, tools and interventions that are based upon unlocking the wisdom in the body and the brain and the nervous system. Because many Mm. of us, without realising it, we've been living in survival. We've been living on the edge of fight, flight, freeze or collapse, submit, feign, death. We've been living bracing. We've been living perhaps internally frozen. We've been living, waiting for others to give us our cues of, am I okay? And really this freedom that we're all seeking in terms of freedom of moving through the world is to be found with and through the body. One of my teachers, Prem Khaleesi, would say that the prison is the temple. Yeah. And I practiced the Shunga yoga with him for, for a while and he would, you know, he'd say, inhale prison, exhale temple. Inhale prison, exhale temple. And then the, ne- the next day would be inhale temple, exhale prison. Inhale temple, exhale prison. Like it's one and the same, this body. It's a prison and a temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I find it um, obviously before having you on, I did some research <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> And it was really remarkable starting to unpack the layers of 
potentially um, what was going on because I couldn't help but, yeah, just start to listen to what I was finding um, and apply it to what was going on to myself. And one of the things that started to really uncover itself is one of the part of my body that I consistently stretch is my neck and my shoulders. I'm always, always stretching my neck and my shoulders. And one of the things I, somewhere along the, along the way, I can't remember where I read this in your work was like, if, if it feels like you're stretching it for the first time again and again, and it was like, it does feel like I'm stretching for the first time again, <laughs> every time I do it, it's like, Oh my God, I never stretched my neck before. And then it's like, I'll go back and I'll stretch my neck again. The next day it's like, Oh my God, I've never stretched my neck before. It's still just as tight. Um, and it's been like that for years. And then I, like some part of me knows that it's a holding, like it's a holding pattern. It's a particular part where my body holds tension. Um, and the invitation to build a relationship with it is like, you know, I kind of have unpacked bits and pieces here and there, you know, like some people say body parts are like associated with different, different parts of like metaphysical things. So I kind of know the neck is responsible for where you're headed and where you're like focused in life. Um, and I imagine as a purpose coach, you know, that my attention's a lot in a lot of people's directions and where they're going. So potentially that has a lot to do with it. Um, but then I really started to sort of coming to your work going, okay, what, is this trying to tell me like, what is this really like, you know, why is this not soft? And one of the things that really bothered me, <laughs> I'm just going to be upfront here is that I, I started doing more research and I realized that under anesthesia, we're actually really flexible. Like when doctors go to operate on us, our bodies can move in all sorts of ways that we wouldn't have otherwise moved because our nervous system is kind of out of the equation at that point. And the body's just like, yep, knees, but knees behind your head, wherever you want to go. And then as soon as you come back, your nervous system clicks back in. And then from there, your previously extremely mobile body is back into all of its holding patterns. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And the neck and the shoulders are actually really special because they allow us to orient toward danger and orient away from danger. Hmm. And this is part of the social engagement system of the body, whereas babies, we learn to orient towards our caregivers. Ah. Yeah. yeah. And yet once we start to get a little bit older, perhaps we start to experience some cues of unsafety, what happens is we, we experience the cues of unsafety and then we orient hopefully towards our caregiver. But for some of us, our caregivers are dangerous, so we can't, it's not safe to orient toward them. So then we end up in a bracing pattern. The sympathetic activation chain, the fight, flight, freeze, this mobilization in service of protection starts at the base of the neck between the shoulder blades. Mm. And so this is your canary in your coal mine. Right? So to be able to, you know, to bring your head back over your shoulders in this moment to drop in and to imagine that there's a cue of unsafety in the next room. And then notice what shifts in the tension pattern or the posture around your neck and your head and your shoulders as you imagine a cue of unsafety in the next room. Everything protracts. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and this is different for each person. Right? Oh. For some people, it's like, ah, I, di- I dissolve and become invisible. For someone else, it's like, oh, no, I start to puff up and move towards. Mm-hmm. Or for someone else, it's I start to move away from that cue of danger. For some of us, we turn towards. Yeah. And it all starts here in this area behind the neck and the shoulders. And we also live in a society that says, become cool and collected. Don't show anyone that you're in distress. <laughs> and so we then clamp down on that response when really we could just turn towards it and go, hey, who's there? But we don't. Oh. <laughs> we don't yeah. work it out. So we trap it. So we don't give it space to express itself. Yes. And what happens with somatic therapies is we notice that impulse to want to turn toward and then we don't. Mm. And then we pause for long enough to go, huh, how old are you in this moment? Is this, is this something that is remembered as a, as a memory that's been held in your body? Let's see if we can unpack this. And then we go back to that thing that happened when you were three years old and mum and dad were having this fight and you thought, they were, you know, that you didn't want to listen to it, but you couldn't not. Mm. And that terror was held in your body. And then we can be there for your body in the way that it needed back then. And we can let that tension be unstuck or released from your body in a way that then reshapes those holding patterns in your body and then gives you more freedom in your life because then things happen and you just orient towards them. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I think it's one of those things you need a direct experience of to experience as well because right now I can still feel myself holding um, yes. But yes. You, you run people through workshops and classes around this as well, right, Linda? Yes, yes, yes I do. So I, um, I'm offering a 10-week series where we meet, um, I think it's every Tuesday Australia time, East Coast time at 10 a.m. That's a good time. That's a good time for us. Thank you. (laughs) Normally it never works out like that with things from the States. It's always like, you're going to get up at four and it's like, oh, but it's so good for me, but I got to get up at four. Okay. I'll make a part of my sadhana then. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I could be slightly incorrect. I'm, I'm here in Alaska. So I'm thinking it's like somewhere between 8 and 10 a.m. Okay, cool. We'll put the, yeah. I'll, I'll find the link to this and I'll, I'll put it in the notes so that people can figure it out. Tell yeah. us more about it. So 10. Yeah. 10 weeks. We unpack a little bit each week how the body system responds in service of survival towards uh, unpleasant or dangerous situations. And then we start to unpack. Ah, I have a flight response that got frozen in my body. And that manifests as I'm out of there. You know, relationship doesn't work out, I'm out of there. You know, Mm. job doesn't feel like it's working out, I'm out of there. I'm going to take a geographic cure. Ah, that's how I have metabolized the unmetabolized flight response. Or perhaps for me, that unmetabolized flight response expresses as I'm in a dangerous situation and I can't leave because my body doesn't know how to, because it got trapped in my nervous system. And this is so common amongst trauma survivors is something gets stuck and we go to the opposites. Mm. Yeah. So someone who's got a stuck fight response, what happens is we totally inhibit the anger, the rage, the resentments. We hide it so well. And or we have these outbursts of rage 
that just come out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. 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 And it's worth being curious about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just unpacking yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this course, we, 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 you know, lots of education. And then we engage in some skills and, and some tools so that you can learn to regulate the nervous system, so that you can learn to release some of the pent-up energy that may very quickly appear in service of survival because our bodies remember. So the whiff of the sniff of something that feels unsafe, we go back to the strategy that we wish we had have gone to back then or we go to the strategy that caused us to survive back then. Mm. Right? So, we, yeah, we go back to it so quickly. And so we learn tools to help to release for some of us the very quick adrenaline cortisol response that happens mm -hmm. yeah because that can then build up during the day yeah i mean i used to work in a bar and you'd see these you know people come in and they were just waiting to pick a fight because it was something that had been brewing in their nervous system all day they didn't know how to take care of that excess energy mm. and so i offer you tools to help take care of that excess energy and then for some of us in service of survival we get overwhelmed and we go to collapse submit we go to screw this man, someone will tell me what to do. This will be over soon anyway, whatever. Yeah. And so I also offer you tools there to help to bring some more compassion to the nervous system and then some ways to resource yourself so that you can move through this energy slump in a way that isn't re-traumatising. Yeah. Some people listening in are potentially feeling like, and I'm thinking about actually a couple of clients of mine that would potentially be listening to this. Um, so they're listening to it and they're going, yeah, but that's, I'm, I've, I've always been down. Like I'm, that's just my frequency, yeah. you know, and it's potentially, so I guess what I'm trying to poke and prod at is some people are probably feeling uh, trapped with their emotions for longer than they care to remember even, right? Yes. Yes, and to that um, I, I offer that our nervous system state generates our emotions and our thoughts about the world around us. So we say that state creates story. Mm. So when I'm in a sympathetic state, meaning the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, I'm in fight, flight, freeze, or I'm ramping up towards it, that energy in my nervous system causes me to relate to the world as if I'm about to be attacked. So I've got to take you down before you take me down. Yeah, I am on my own and I can't trust anyone and I need to put my blinders on and people just got to get out of my way. Mm. Yeah, state creates story. And then when we're in the dorsal vagal branch of the nervous system, this is that collapse submit response in service of survival. It's an even further recession uh, suppression, yeah. isn't it, in that state? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because if I can't engage in actions of protection, mobilised energy, then my nervous system in service of survival is going to engage in acts of disconnection, acts of immobilisation and conservation of energy in service of survival. Is it safe to say that that should be of greater concern than 
the previous one or concern is unanimous across the board? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the opportunity to just notice the name with compassion. Mm. Like, oh, my nervous system has overlearned this Mm. as a response Mm. to survive in the world. Gotcha. Yeah. And so for, for folks who live in that more collapsed response, that state generates the story. And so the emergent emotions and thoughts are, um, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm powerless, it's futile, why bother, despair, shame, yeah, expecting the worst because it's already here, feelings of chronic defeat. And so by learning about the nervous system, we can actually destigmatize or depathologize the ways in which ourselves and our clients may be thinking about themselves and about the world. It takes mm. away the what's wrong with you, you're having these feelings all the time, it's, it's okay. These feelings emerge out of the state of the nervous system. And by learning to befriend the nervous system and then slowly shift the nervous system, we can then reshape slowly over time how we move through the world. Are these exercises complicated, Linda, or are they straightforward? They're pretty straightforward. Do you have yet, one or two that you could share with us today? For sure, for sure. Um, let's do one for folks that are a little bit more um, flat mm-hmm. and then one's for folks who are a little bit more too energised, awesome. too charged, yeah? Cool. So for folks who are feeling a little bit flat, mm-hmm. um, it's all invitational, yeah? So invitation to, to place your hands and the palms of your hands against each other. Yeah. And to begin to massage one hand with another hand. Mm-hmm. And to notice the hand that's receiving the touch and to notice the hand that's offering the touch. And to notice what feels good, how much pressure, whereabouts along the hand or palm or fingers, does it feel good to offer this pressure? So the somatosensory neocortex of the brain has a disproportionate number of nerve endings to the hands and the face. And so when we become numbed out in service of survival, we can get back into our bodies by tapping into the hands and the face. So if it's okay with you, I invite you to then push your hands against each other, pressing palm to palm, perhaps interlacing your fingers as you press palm to palm, perhaps squeezing the fingers gently. And then if it feels okay with you, I know this is going to be hard for you, Amrit, because you've got headphones on, <laughs> to massage your scalp. Yeah. And this can be done through the fingertips in small circles. This could be long strokes with your fingertips. This could be perhaps taking some chunks of hair and pulling really gently or vigorously, making circles. Whatever it is that feels good for you. Yeah. And so in this way, we're also orienting towards 
but what feels good. Mm -hmm. And then I invite you to massage your temples and your forehead, perhaps vertical strokes or horizontal strokes, or perhaps little circles. And then to massage the cheekbones and the chin and the jawline. If it feels okay with you, you can grab your cheeks and give them a little pull. What can happen for some of us is we get frozen face because we have to look calm. Being seen makes you a threat, right? And so we learn to just like have this cool, calm, collected face and be invisible. <laughs> and so we're waking up the cranial nerves that connect to the social engagement system. And then I invite you to pause here and take some breaths into the belly as well as into the upper torso. Too much breath in the belly is that flat, depressed energy. Too much breath in the upper torso is that agitated, anxious, manic energy. And I invite you to soften your eyes by bringing your awareness to the area behind the back of the eyes and the area behind the back of the head. Allow for any micro adjustments in your posture. And if it feels okay with you, I invite you to maintain this softness in the eyes and whatever shifts that happened in your posture as a result of your soft eyes. And to keep your head facing forward as you turn your soft eyes towards the right. Gentle breath here, lengthening incrementally with the next inhale and the next exhale. And if there's a sigh or a burp or a cough or a belch or a swallow that arises, know that this is okay. And if it feels okay with you, three big deep breaths. Allowing the eyes to gently float back to center. Pausing here. Softening the eyes once again, recalibrating. To the awareness of the area behind the back of the eyes and behind the back of the head. And then if it's okay with you, head forward, eyes gently with softness float towards the left. And the invitation to incrementally lengthen with each breath. No rush.
And once again, holding that spaciousness for any swallow, burp, cough, sigh. And then three big deep breaths if that feels okay with you. And then allowing your eyes to gently float back to center and just pausing here. No hurry. Why do we hurry? And then as you are ready, you're welcome to open your eyes. And it is totally okay if you want to look through the computer screen, Amrit. Because this is part of our Stone Age architecture. We're meant to look out to the horizon. I love this. And calming at the same time. I'm just like, but and calm at the same time. It's so cool. (laughs) This is the Goldilocks. The porridge is just right. Yeah, right. It's not too hot, not too cold. I'm digging it. (laughs) Yeah, this is the ventral Vegas. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And notice when you allow yourself to sit in this spaciousness of calm and energized, what your breath and the alignment in your posture naturally wants to do. Mm. It's very centering. Normally I stand with a gait that's one foot forward or the other foot forward. And right now I'm very, yeah, yeah, this is cool. (laughs) This is cool. Before we weave into the the more energizing one, because I'm loving it here, so I just want to take a moment to enjoy it here. Yeah. Um, the vagus nerve, it's mm-hmm. not just one nerve. It's, no. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. There's actually two branches to the vagus nerve, the ventral vagus and the dorsal vagus. Right. And the dorsal vagus is, is um, our original nervous system when we talk about evolutionary biology. And so that it moves very slow. We're able to conserve our energy. And in service of survival, we shut down. Mm. Yeah. And then the next nervous system that overlaid on top of that is the sympathetic nervous system, right? That's that fight, flight, freeze. And then the next layer of nervous system in our evolutionary biology is the ventral vagus. And that is our deeply mammalian response where we turn toward each other in service of survival, Mm. right? So our sense of safety in the world is through tribe, it's through belonging, it's through community. Even if it's unhealthy community, Mm. even if it's others that we can be furiously angry with and alongside, right? It's still that thing where belonging equals safety. Yeah, and so 
this newest branch of the nervous system creates cranial nerves that together are the social engagement system. So that weaves its way through the face and the throat and the upper torso, yeah, where it allows for facial expression. It allows for vocalisation. This mm. gives other people the cues. Is this person safe or in danger? You know how some people you just move towards because their voice says, I'm okay to be around. I'm not yeah, a yeah, yeah. It's super welcoming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and, and then I know for me, if I, if I let my nervous system go into that, oh, there might be danger. Mm. My head comes forward. My neck starts to tighten. My voice totally changes. And I'm about to take you down and notice how you can hear, like you can hear it and notice how your body responds. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. And so this is where we can experience safety and connection and it's safety and connection in action as well as safety and connection in stillness. And yet when you have experienced stillness in terror, it's really hard to experience stillness in safety. And so we stay worrying in this hyper-aroused state because we do not ever want to meet that state where we are on the edge of our terror and about to collapse into submit, collapse, feign death. This will be over soon. Oh, shit. And that's what makes it so hard to embrace your stillness. Yeah. And it also makes that heightened activity in the nervous system worthy of our compassion mm. because it's what we know how to do in service of survival is to just keep going no matter what. Mm. Even when our body says stop, we keep going. Even when we're burnt out, we keep going. Even when our family members are screaming at us to stop working and to be with them, we don't know how to do that. Yeah, so because the human being's ability to adapt is one of our most remarkable gifts, man. Like, wow, like human beings have adapted to so many environments through however long we've been here. How long have we been here? That's still even up for a debate, but we know that we're here to some degree. So, yeah, our ability to adapt is incredible. And what I'm hearing is, yeah, like we've adapted and adapted, but we've also like, you know, in that space, the things, and this comes back to what you said before, the things that have gotten us, um, how was it? The, the strategies Strategy. that keep us alive keep us from living. Yes. I love that. And then the spiritual work is recognising the layers of ego that we overlay mm. on top of our strategies to make them okay, right? <laughs> Tell us more What do you witness oh. you for work on this? You know, it's where I self-justify my anger mm. or my shame-based grandiosity mm. or my shame-based self-deprecation gets overlaid with the ego so that I'm now vehemently attached to these strategies, these defence mechanisms, mm -hmm. right? And I'm part of your identity. Yes. And then that's all we know. We self-identify with our strategies. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the stronger the attachment, or sorry, the stronger the strategy, the stronger the attachment, right? And, and this is where it's that work of recognising those attachments. 
Because we suffer to the degree that we are attached to wanting ourselves or our lives or the people in our lives to be some other way apart from how they are. Well, I'm going to try and leverage this into a tangent around a common coping strategy then. Is it a coping strategy? Uh, the, the dialogue around victimhood. Yes. There's, um, I know some people have gone, like, again, full asterisks at this conversation as I'm venturing into this path. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, some people haven't suffered with some things, but then there are also people that get attached to that identity of when something happened to them and, you know, something may have happened to them 10 years ago, but they're still attached to that trauma, um, sometimes consciously, but uh, unconsciously, but sometimes consciously, sometimes you're letting them know it's like, hey, like this was quite a while ago. Um, and it's, yeah, like what an injustice. And it's like, oh, but, you know, you could learn to forgive and let go, but some people don't. Yes. So layers, the layers to this are protest, your needs, and then your deep longings, right? So the injustice, mm. it's a protest. Mm, it's mm. saying this shouldn't have happened, mm. right? Or it's, I mean, even poor me, poor me, pour me a drink, right? The self-pity. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's also a form of protest. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a way of saying this shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be this way. Mm-hmm. But if we pause for long enough to allow ourselves to step with one foot into ventral, we can allow for that space of self-compassion and go, there's needs. It's a, it's a cry. There are needs that weren't met back then. Mm-hmm. The need for safety, the need for someone to protect, the need for your pain to be seen and validated, right? The, the need for other people to have been safe enough to turn toward. Yeah. But once we start to open up the worm, the can of worms, right, to one's needs, underneath that is your deep longings. The deep longing to have had people in your life that were safe to turn to. The deep longing to have had someone in your life to stand up for you and protect you. The deep longing to have been witnessed and to be held in someone's heart, that they would notice that there was a shift and that something had happened to you. That's painful to actually connect to one's needs and then the deep longings underneath one's needs, Mm. right? And so to begin to recognise that victimhood, right, that protest as actually a deep soul cry that is up to that person to unpack. I'd like to take the tangent off to another tangent again, if I may. Pardon me for all the yeah. tangents for those listening in. Let's say you're, because we were talking about how your nervous system also is impacted by other nervous systems around it. So mm-hmm. if one person is likely, let's say, in that victimhood state, mm-hmm. does the other person drop into a victimhood state that lives with them or is around them all the time? Or do they drop drop into a compensatory state or either or or like yes yes so this is the victim savior perpetrator the drama triangle ah 
Okay. Yes. Can you can you yes. educate our listeners? <laughs> For sure. I think this would be yeah. For sure. I actually learned about this when I was doing my work around adult children who are raised in dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. And I went, holy schmoly, I have moved through the world with this, um, this drama triangle. I'm either a victim mm. or, a, or a bully or a perpetrator or the rescuer. Mm. Right? And so if I just talk in I statements, when I am in victimhood, I'm sitting mm. on the pity potty. Mm. Yeah? Poor me, poor me, pour me a drink. Mm-hmm. And I have a solution for every problem. Uh, sorry, I have a problem for every solution that someone offers to you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like so hard and I'm helpless and hopeless. And I'm actually trying to enlist everyone around me into being the surrogate parent that I never got to have. Mm. And so I'm turning my boyfriends into my fathers, right? <laughs> like yeah. it's hilarious. And I'm turning all my female friends into my mothers. Mm. But yet when I turn my female friends into my mothers, I'm actually turning them into the perpetrators, like the, mm. the, the critics, right, who are going to tell me that I'm not good enough. Yep. Yeah. So I'm sitting there on the edge of are you going to be my knight in shining armour or are you going to be the one that attacks me and takes me down? And mm. so it becomes a lens through which I move through the world and I look at people as are you going to rescue me or are you going to save me? Oh, sorry, are you going to rescue me and save me or are you going to attack me? And it can be really hard when you deal with these people because if you've got your own wounds around not wanting to be the bad guy, then you're going to turn yourself inside out to try and rescue and save that person because there's that feeling that you know that you're going to be set up to be the bad guy if you don't help them. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. And then the bad guy, you know, the, the, the perpetrator or the bully is the, why don't you just... How come you just don't figure it out? Why don't you just get a job? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And in all three of those situations, there's the wounded inner child, Mm -hmm. right? Where the inability to sit and be with the pain of impotence and powerlessness causes us to either over-identify with it, want to rescue it, or want to like disconnect from it and, um, have it had nothing to do with me. Berate it, yes. Yes. And for some of us, we can't let ourselves be like that out in the real world. So what happens is we internalize it. I become the oppressor and the oppressed. I have my own harsh inner critic that's beating me up while I sit there and sit on my pity potty while I'm internally beating myself up. And then I turn to, in my circumstance, substances or behaviors in order to try and rescue myself or save myself from myself whoa okay sorry i've just my brain is flashing things to me now um but i'm also just going to voice what's coming up for me which is yeah like the world may not accept this but some potential for potentially this is where some domestic violence kind of and it becomes intergenerational. Yo. And it becomes institutionalized mm. because if we look at that, you can look at it from the ecological systems perspective. Mm-hmm. You could look at it from a vibrational perspective. But mm-hmm. what we have happened is that, take schools, for example. Um, parents blame the teachers. And I'm acting on behalf of my kid that I'm mm. trying to save and rescue. Yeah. And I'm going to make the teachers into the bad guys. 
Mm. And then the teachers are like, man, I just want to help these kids at school. And these parents that just aren't able to be there for their kids, Mm. like they're the bad guys. Yeah. And Mm. then the kid at home is like, you know, who's the good cop, who's the bad guy? (laughs) And then we have it on a systemic level, Mm. right, in terms of, child protective services and law enforcement and the court system and the behavioural health system and those people. And so systems can actually treat each other as if they're the, you know, within the drama triangle. Mm. Yeah. You know, the child protective system, you know, says that law enforcement aren't doing their job. They're the bad guys. And law enforcement turns around and says, no, but it's the politicians because I can only arrest people in accordance to these laws. So they're the bad guys. Yeah, and the politicians, like, so so can you start to see how it becomes entrenched as a society? Mm -hmm. On every level. On every level, yeah. And breaking free from the drama triangle is, as much as the drama triangle is out there and within here, is to work on oneself. Is that what I'm gathering? Presence and connection. Presence and connection. Yeah. Presence definitely works. I love connection because it's my highest value. So I'm in. (laughs) I'm both feet in. (laughs) Here's the thing, right, is that presence and connection are emergent qualities of the ventral vagus, of the Mm. deeply mammalian part of our nervous system. And so some of us, because we're running on sympathetic or we're running on dorsal energy, right? we're running in these survival states, we then should ourselves into being compassionate and kind and patient and it just feels so hard. Mm, as I should be this and I should be that yeah. and I should be this and I should be that, but then you're basically berating yourself again and backing yourself further into yeah. a corner. And so these body-based techniques to help us to reset the nervous system or Um, trauma interventions that are based in the body and the brain can help us to expand that bandwidth for the ventral vagus, for the mammalian branch, yes. Linda, (laughs) I get why it's so body-based. It's way easier to to go through the exercises than it is to run run laps around our head trying to decide. There is so much going on. There is so much going on. And the exercises... Uh, are fun and nice and simple <laughs> and I like them I'm not saying that it's not worth having this chat with you I am getting so much from this chat but I'm also just yeah I am in awe of yeah just the I guess what's really uh, stunning for me at the moment is the the prevalence of how important a role the nervous system plays in a human being's functioning um not just like, because obviously our body and then also our mind and our ability to respond and adapt and react, but then also like society being made up of individuals and how that kind of ripples out against every layer. So I am conscious of the time. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> Can we dive into the, the second exercise we promised our listeners? Oh, sure. So when your nervous system is being a bit amped up, yeah, we've got to get rid of some of that excess energy. Mm-hmm. And so it's making a sound with the exhale. So I'll titrate up and you're welcome to participate in the way that your nervous system feels is appropriate. Awesome. I'll mute and I'll follow you along. (laughs) No, no, no. Unmute. Okay. All right. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's just breathe in and a sigh with the exhale. 
<sighs> Maybe a whoosh with the exhale. Feel better already, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sometimes we're a little bit mad. So we might want to clench the jaw, flare the nostrils, and let's keep the mouth, the lips closed and make any sound that feels appropriate when you're a bit frustrated. Yeah. So breathe in, clench the jaw, flare the nostrils, mouth closed, make a sound. Perhaps this time, clench the fists, bring the shoulders up around the ears, make the cabbage patch kid face. Any sound on the exhale. <laughs> Breath in, sigh with the exhale. Perhaps you'd like to try the angry beaver with the next exhale. So this is where we just show each other our two front teeth. So breathing in, clench the fists, bring the shoulders up, cabbage patch kid, flare the nostrils, angry beaver. <laughs> <laughs> and Albert, your natural response is so typically what happens, right? <laughs> we move that energy out of the system, the diaphragm constricts, our, the expression gets to express. And then with the release of the diaphragm, there's laughter that comes about mm. because the diaphragm can now do flappity flap flap rather than <laughs> mobilising in service of survival. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah, and I found even um, the breaths that we took afterwards, like I felt my face relax. Like I, I often, like, like for those that do train their body, you know that when you tense, then there's this subsequent relax. And sometimes to get your body to relax, I'll get you to squeeze up into a ball really tight and then relax. And that kind of actually helps you to, and I felt that with like, in what you were saying before about all the nerves being up here, when we were making those faces, like afterwards, I really felt like a relaxation in my face that actually made me feel calmer as well, which was really cool. Yes. The Cabbage Patch Kids can teach us a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Them and the Care Bears. <laughs> no, truly, if, if you annoy me these days, I just yeah. make that Cabbage Patch Kid face. <laughs> and then <sighs> everything's all right after that. <laughs> I love it. And I think the key there is like getting the things out of your system, yeah. huh? Because, yes. and, you know, this is going to sound really trite, but the reality is I learned so much from my dog. She's this little, tiny little Japanese spitz. And I'll watch her around the house pitter-pottering and there'll be days where the sun's coming in and she'll just walk over and just lie in the little bit of sun that's coming through. And I'm like, 
oh, vitamin D, like I got to open up all the curtains, you know? So she'll remind me, like she won't say anything, but she'll say plenty. And then, you know, I've, I've watched her with things like I'll pick her up and I'll, I'll ruffle her feathers a lot, you know, <laughs> like get, get, get stuck into a pat sometimes. And then afterwards, you know, like it's been a bit of a thing that she's gone through and there's always that <sighs> afterwards as she moves on to things. And at the risk of completely disclosing how nuts I can be, you know, when I'm driving sometimes, and someone cuts you off or something happens and it's like, whoa, like I can feel my body jolt into like, uh, like into like a stuck position. And I'm like, uh, and then I'll literally do, I'll literally imitate my dog. <laughs> and I'll literally just go blah, 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 and just shake it out and then try and move so that that stuff doesn't get stuck. There is footage of polar bears that have been tranquilized and then they give them some um, cortisol to bring them back and the first thing that polar bear does is that neurogenic tremoring that's what it's called neurogenic tremoring yes neurogenic tremoring yes that makes it's it weird. sound way smarter than I do what my dog does <laughs> <laughs> thank you I leave this podcast looking smarter if not being any smarter <laughs> Linda, I'm conscious of the time and I do I do want to let you go at some point, but I have to ask. So just before I let you go, the vagus nerve, and you know, you mentioned there's a lot of it going up here in the in the upper torso, and you said there's a lot of connections to the face and stuff. You're also, also a yoga. The belly. Yeah. 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 The dorsal vagus goes through the in um the abdominal organs. And the dorsal one's the older the one. It's the older the one. More the older one. Yeah. So some part of me is wanting to sort of just go on a curiosity ride yes. here with you. So we've got the, the the older one, which is further deeper down in our in our body, and then the newer one, and the newer one, and then obviously it goes all the way up to our face. So mm-hmm. some part of you, with your background, um, I know there's some there's some yoga in there. I want to sort of unpack like you know, have you considered the chakras and how they're like, you know, where they're at and how your nervous system is responding to them and how like the root chakra is and then how it comes further up? Because I don't know too much about it, but I'm just wondering if you've, you've given it some time of day in your head. Yeah, for sure. And what I'm going to do is not answer that question and Mm. instead talk about how the vagus nerve goes through the diaphragm. Mm. And so when we engage in pranayama, some of these breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. we're not just stretching the diaphragm, we're stretching the vagus nerve. Oh. Yeah. Yes. And then because dorsal vagus is below the diaphragm and ventral vagus is above the diaphragm, we're actually taking the most primitive part of ourselves and connecting it to the most evolved part of ourselves. That's cool. (laughs) That sounds cool. I like the way that sounds. That sounds so cool. (laughs) Yes. You know that um, the the precursor to Nauli, you know, where the yogi um, breathes, breathes out all the way and then squeezes everything inwards and then lengthens the spine and lengthens upwards and then creates a deep vacuum in the diaphragm. Yes. Mm. And then all the abdominal organs just suck in Mm. and the diaphragm sucks up. The first time you do that, you think you're going to die because there is no air. Mm. And you're internally stretching something and touching this deep something 
that that you've never touched before. Mm. And to me, this is that thing that starts to reverberate through the sushumna, through the central river of energy, that then when you can gain some mastery over that, allows for this explosion of energy that is contained. The physical is spiritual. Mm. And we leak our energy outwards into the world. We leak it out because we're not grounded. We leak it out through our sacral chakra, yeah, which is the emotional center, the sexual center, the collaborative center. Yeah, we, we give it all away. We're overbound or we're underbound. And then in our power center, we give that away or we don't know how to responsibly and with integrity own it. And so we move through the world underbound or overbound, yeah? And then throat chakra, talking too much, gossiping, yeah? Or it's shut down. Hmm. Oh, I, I skipped the heart chakra <laughs> altogether. <laughs> right, we're falling in love in all the wrong places and looking for love in all the wrong places. Hmm. Yeah. And then um, third eye, yeah? And for trauma survivors, the third eye is blown open, right? That hypervigilance, hypersensitivity, that learning to close the third eye. And then the crown chakra, it's spiritual bypass mm. unless all the other chakras are integrated. And so it's seeking to transcend in order to bypass the ego smattering possibilities of this physical plane. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And this, uh, this vagus nerve that runs through, we open up our capacity to live in connection, in safety, in action and in stillness. And these tools of meditation, yoga are so powerful and there's other brain and body-based modalities that help us to restore the integrity of our most evolved branch of the nervous system. Linda, so inspiring. I, you know, just even feeling into where my body has been holding, you know, especially in the back for so long, I'm keen to sign up in January. So for those that are tuning in, we'll put links to, um, Linda's offering. Um, like she said, it's Tuesdays here in Oz. Um, we'll confirm the time for you. It'll be link in the description in the show notes. But um, Linda, I feel like this is the first of many conversations we're going to have, but I do want to thank you for today. Thank you so much for carving out your time, being here, your energy, your presence. Um, and look, it's it's not just uh, today, you know, it's a lifetime's work that informs, uh, informs the conversation that we get to have. So thank you so much for the journey. Um, that you're on and that you've been on and to show up on that path to, to inform us here today from behalf of myself and the Inspired Evolution audience. Thank you so much. And as always, we're wishing you all the best with the future and many of us will see you in January. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much, Amrit, and to your team and to all your listeners. <laughs> Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. 
If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.